We return this morning to Matthew chapter 9. We pick up at verse 27, and we'll read through verse 35. Matthew 9, 27 to 35. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and crying and crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Nahi! Yes, Lord. Yes. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled saying, it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Father, we are so pleased this morning to be together and to continue our study of Matthew's presentation of the Lord Christ. We have been delighted to hear of these episodes in which the Lord Jesus interacted with people evidencing tremendous need and tremendous desire for his touch. Help us in today as we kind of round out the section and as we bring it to some degree to its at least short-term conclusion. And as we note the big picture perspective that is yielded for us in today's text. Thank you for the occasion. We ask your blessing upon each one who is gathered here this morning. We pray that hearts would be uniquely warmed to the truth of Christ, that minds would be informed, that lives would be better directed for thy purposes. And for that, we will praise you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Early this morning when I walked out on the deck at the back of the parsonage, the crows were in the backyard. That red-tailed hawk that lives in the wetland behind the parsonage is often harassed, harassed, I guess they say it, by a flock of crows.
crows are birds that are named for what they do. Crowing. Crow! 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 Grammatically, when a word is formed based upon the sound made by it, it's called an antomatopoeia. Think of the word like a steak, or the word cuckoo. In verse 27, we have a Greek antomatopoeia, meaning to croak or to crow. And the word crying in that first verse is a present verb giving indication of its repetition. They didn't just cry once. But they cried and cried and cried as I read it. Or, if you will, in the Greek, it sounds like, call, 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 call. And what were they crowing about? Well, I'm told that crows have a sophisticated communication vocabulary with about 600 words. The crowing of the two blind men is likewise much more than noise in that. They cried out to Jesus as the son of David, a clear reference to his being the Messiah. The two blind men of record couldn't see physically, but apparently saw much more than many in that day. And then, of course, you also have here a man that is called dumb that we know isn't, but was under a deep spiritual sense of darkness. You could easily argue, and I do believe it is the Spirit's intention, that we would see in this passage three blind men, not three blind mice, but three blind men in this account. Two, physical blindness. One, spiritual blindness. More on the two companions in physical darkness and the citizen blunted by spiritual darkness momentarily. But first, I want us to drink in the last verse of the text, which is a summary verse for the purpose of our perspective, not only for where we've been, but in future Lord's days, where we'll be going, should the Lord tarry. 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness with or and every disease among the people. Historians tell us that there were about 200 villages and walled cities in Galilee during the days of the Lord's earthly ministry. Verse 35 reminds us of the triad of emphasis that was made by the Lord Jesus when he walked on this planet, First Advent. It reminds us that he first and foremost taught, 
and then preached and then healed people in most of not all of those Galilee cities and villages. Matthew's handful of selected miracles as presented in chapter 8 and 9 are being used to help us see correctly the identity of the Lord Jesus. They also allow us to see the varied responses of people to the Lord Jesus during the days of his earthly ministry. And in fact, all of these little miraculous vignettes, if we took them all together since we left our study of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, all of these little miraculous vignettes in chapter 8 and chapter 9 uh, combined in such a way uh, so that they can clearly be understood as either being an example of faith or no faith. And whether a person exercised faith or did not exercise faith in the Lord, they were nonetheless healed. But only those of faith were made sozo, or whole. And most recently, the little vignettes that we have been thinking about, uh, starting with uh, uh, the approach of Jarius, to the Lord Jesus concerning his dead daughter, and then that interruption by the woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and that theme followed by uh, uh, the uh, uh, reality of this. The recent vignettes all are in that category of faith. Faith is made an issue in everyone. And then graciously... The Spirit of God prompts Matthew so that as he wraps up his little specifics of vignettes, he gives us one of each. He gives us a vignette in which there is evidence of faith, and then he gives us a vignette in which there's no no, uh, thought of faith whatsoever. In regards to the two blind men and the man that is called uh, dumb. The threefold ministry of Christ is, as stated in verse 35, prompts us to be able to answer some big-ticket questions in regards to New Testament perspective. Namely, what did Jesus teach? What did Jesus proclaim? And why did Jesus heal? Now, this is extra. I'm just giving this to you. It has nothing to do with what I'm preaching here today. But I I, I don't think we can, we want to carefully, I mean, I don't think we want to quickly Uh, lose uh, the significance of verse 35 in regards to this big picture of perspective. And I'm talking about teaching, preaching, healing. The yang words of verse 35. When Jesus entered a city, number one on the mind of the Lord Jesus was teaching. When Jesus entered a city or a village, he taught the people the Old Testament scriptures starting in the local synagogue. Specifically, the scripture says, teaching in their synagogues. Jewish gathering and worship was cultivated for the first time in local synagogues back when the Babylonians vanquished 
the land of Israel in 586 B.C. Uh, synagogues became a thing as a result of the lacking access of the Jewish people to a temple in Jerusalem. We know that it took 10 Jewish families to form a local synagogue or a local assembly. The word synagogue simply means assembly. Many Jewish people met for worship three times a week. Now, you know that the primary day of Jewish meeting was the Sabbath, Saturday. But each Monday, Thursday, and Saturday, Jewish people would gather for a simple service dedicated to the Torah and the writings of the Jewish prophets. Qualified men were allowed in that gathering to give an exposition of the scriptures after a time of songs and prayers and testimony. You have a, a biblically uh, uh, noted recorded incident of such an interaction, not turning there this morning for sake of time, but you have a, a record of that kind of interaction, Luke 4, 16 to 21, where Jesus speaks to connect the Old Testament truths of the Torah and prophecy to himself, demonstrating week after week after week after week after week in the villages and cities in Galilee, his relationship to the Word of God written. It would be much like what you and I have become accustomed to understanding about the Lord's interaction with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. Those are all thoughts that relate to this idea of the Lord's persistency and priority in teaching. What did Jesus do when he was on the earth? He taught. Secondly, what did Jesus do? He preached. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus declared in unmistakable terms that the promised kingdom of God was at hand. He preached or declared to that Jewish generation of their opportunity to receive the glorious kingdom prepared. Was it ready to be received? Yes. Was it received? No. Why? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But what Jesus was doing in the first advent was preaching that Israeli opportunity to receive the kingdom of God as promised. And then you, of course, have the word healing. And the word and puts the healing ministry in the third place, helping us to grasp that the miracles were validations of the Lord's teaching 
and preaching ministry. Why did he heal? Well, many in this generation would answer just to help people. He just wanted, Jesus just wanted to help people. He just wanted to help people. He just wanted to help people. No, uh, that's not the motivation uh, in regards to the Lord's first advent ministry. Uh, the miracles of healing fulfilled that which the prophets like Isaiah had said would accompany the future glory of God's kingdom in Jerusalem. The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Matthew ends his record of selected miracles with these three truths in view, teaching, preaching, and healing, so that when you and I talk about the first Advent ministry of Christ, we would always talk about the three things and not get caught up in the social gospel emphasis of our day relative to that healing business, as if it was all about healing. Now let's think a little further about this final series of miracles involving two blind men and a deaf-mute individual, and of course then countless others as reflected at the end of the text, that all flow after uh, the account of the, of the raising of the daughter of Jairus from the dead. We begin by understanding that we must give some further thought to the role of faith that is required of the two blind men in record. It is fair to say that many times Jesus extended physical healing to people with no hint of faith or trust on their part. Isaiah did not say, uh, by way of prophecy, that when Messiah would come, that he would require faith in order to heal people or help people. No, Jesus healed and helped people uh, that did not exercise faith in him. But there's a difference, as we've noted, between faith and no faith. Here, Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be to you. Had they not possessed faith, or had their faith been misdirected, they would have left as they came, blind. So the question is, what did these two blind men believe? What was the essence of their faith? It was obviously good faith, because they left sealing. They left with their sight. Uh, They believed themselves to be, first of all, in a desperate condition. They followed Jesus in the crowd, crying out persistently. They were intense in the misery of their condition. And when we focus upon what they are saying, not once, not twice, not three times, But again and again and again, we'll skip the word thou because it's in italics, looking at verse 27, and they said this, son of David, that clear 
messianic reference to his person, son of David, have mercy on us. As to his person, they believed he was the Messiah. As to his work, in a word, they believed mercy. He is the Messiah, and his work is merciful. Messiah and mercy. Messiah speaks to the correct identity of his person. Mercy speaks to the correct nature of his work. Now, theologically, when we study Christology, when we study the person of Christ, we pay particular attention to his person, who he is, and his work, what he did. And you have both of those things beautifully represented in this repeated and repeated phrase, Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. Who is he, the son of David? What is the nature of his work? Mercy. They cried unto him for mercy. That is something, mercy, something from God undeserved. They cried out to Christ for something that they knew in their own lives was undeserved. The word implies that these blind men sought not only physical sight, but forgiving mercy. These blind guys could really see. I think that the little title that we threw up in the bulletin was Not Blind, Not Dumb. Because really, these guys, of course, are blind. But I tell you, they see quite well. They see correctly the person of Christ, Messiah. They see correctly the mission of Christ, a mission of mercy. So though they're blind, I would suggest they actually see. And then, of course, we'll come to that man called dumb, who isn't, not dumb, in any sense of the word, though demonically dark. When Jesus addressed the blind men, having arrived at Peter's house in Capernaum, he presses the issue of their faith and puts it right up into the open. He says, do you believe I can do this? And they said, Nahi, which is the Aramaic, Greek word for yes, Lord. Yes, kurios. We believe that you can do this. Convinced of his divine credentials as God's promised Messiah, their eyes are opened according to their faith. Their conviction of heart preceded 
correction and conversion. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must also give some further thought to the fame that is resisted after these two blind comrades in darkness became companions in the light. Jesus sternly warns them not to tell of the matter. You have it in verse 30. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them. And those words are strong, we might even say severe. Jesus straightly, strongly charged them, saying, See! They just were seeing, because they had saw. Uh, See! that no man knoweth. My dead buddy Spurgeon says, he that opened their eyes closed their mouths. The question is, why? He didn't necessarily want the miracle itself to be hid, but he did not want to stir up undue opposition or revolution. He did not want to forward the idea that some, like those blind men, had fully embraced that he was much more than a do-gooder, so much more than a do-gooder, that he was son of David on God's mission of mercy. Interestingly, in the next case of the deaf man, unable to speak, uh, uh, which causes the multitude to uh, uh, marvel, in the next case, there is no prohibition. There is no statement from Jesus, don't tell anybody. So you should ask, why? And the answer is, well, faith isn't there. And so the only thing that he could talk about anyhow would be the healing. He would not stir the pot uh, to a greater measure of uh, the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah on a mission of God's mercy. Uh, He would not further stir the pot that Jesus was indeed the king of the Jews and thereby incite a revolt. And so no word of prohibition to the man that was demonically dumb. The man is helped without any mention of faith whatsoever. He is not warned as was the men who were prior to him. They would go about saying, more than we were healed. They would say, we were healed by the Messiah. We were healed by the King of the Jews. We were healed by by God the Son on a mission of mercy. And it wasn't yet time for all that. They would have declared that which was according to their faith. And that distinguishes them in this moment from the man who is called dumb. 
that we know was demonically dark in that moment of time. By the way, the grammar here seems to indicate that as the two former blind men left Jesus, they laid eyes on the man who was blunted by a demon and brought that blunted man to the Lord. The old English word dumb can refer to not speaking and or not hearing. The old English word dumb refers to a person who can't hear and as a result doesn't speak. The two physical disabilities quite often go together, but in this case, the man afflicted was occupied not by a physical malady at all, but rather by a spiritual darkness. The Greek word translated dumb simply means blunted or restrained. And herein that restriction is attributed to a demon. When once the Lord Jesus cast out the demon, the man spoke normally. That is a phenomenal thing, not only in of itself, but a phenomenal thing in light of the reality of the experience of those two blind men. And if the grammar that we're seeing is in our understanding correct, well then it appears that when once the Lord opened the eyes of the blind men, they immediately engaged in helping others that could be benefited by the Lord Jesus. And in that, I would say that those two blind men are phenomenal examples for you and me who say we know the Lord. If our eyes have been opened to the truth of Christ, if we know ourselves to be born again, then with eyes open, we ought to see people. We ought to see people that need the Lord and seek to do what those blind men did when they brought that guy to the Lord Jesus. Because after all, you're no help to your friends. You're no help to the people in light of time and eternity, ultimately. The people that you would pray for, they need Christ. But as blind men now seeing, you can do more than sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You can also exercise yourself towards others that they too might have the touch of the Lord Jesus. And then thirdly, he wants to give some further thought here to the vision that is recorded in response to the Lord Jesus, 33b and 34. The multitude was large and, of course, once again struck with amazement over the Lord's demonstration of power over demons and disease. Knowing the historical testimony of previous periods of the miraculous in Israel, those miraculous periods of the miraculous in Israel, Moses, Elijah, Elisha. The miraculous was not regulative. The miraculous was not 
routine among the Jewish nation historically. Historically, there were unique pockets or periods of miracles over the many days of Israeli history from the time of their launching out of the loins of Abraham. Pockets or periods of miracles. And the first pocket or period of miracles is that which we associate with Moses and the giving of the law of God at Sinai. The second little pocket or period of miracles is what is associated with the great prophet Elijah and the prophet that had a double portion of Elijah's spirit, Elisha. A pocket, a period of miracles affirming God's love and care to the Jewish nation in a time of famine. Jesus performed miracles forming the third and final pocket or period of the miraculous in the nation of Israel. And what Jesus did, as the scripture records, 33b, what Jesus did among them is unequaled and without comparison historically. The people were not only amazed or astonished, as indicated by the word marveled, verse 33, but they also, the crowd also went on to say, it was never so seen in Israel. And so with uh, knowledge of the previous pockets and periods of the miraculous Moses, Elijah, Elisha, these Jewish individuals were able to raise the testimony that no one ever did uh, anywhere close uh, in uh, quantity or quality. That which was done by the Lord Jesus. Truly astonished, and yet the crowd often proved fickle in their honor and praise for the Lord Jesus. Had Jesus been running for office, he would have certainly garnished their vote. But for the most part, they lacked the conviction of faith that we've previously seen in the woman with an issue of blood, the conviction of faith that we've seen in Jairus in the synagogue, and the conviction of faith seen today in the two blind men. Before there can be salvation, there must be conviction. Conviction in truth precedes salvation from sin. Conviction in truth precedes salvation from sin. Surely we want to talk to people about being saved from their sins. But there is a conviction of truth that precedes salvation from sin. And that conviction of truth is threefold. It not only sees self as sinful, before a thrice-holy God, 
but it sees Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And it sees the work of Christ's first advent as God's official heavenly work of mercy. That triad of conviction must come into the mind of even a child before they can invite Christ, here's the words we like to use, into our heart. There's a lot of Baptist people that have prayed prayers with Jesus in the heart that clearly today, by their words and their deeds, prove he is not there. There must be understanding. There must be a sense of conviction. You and I are not studying the Bible for the sake of a Bible knowledge exam to be taken on paper with pen when we stand before the pearly gates. You and I are to understand the biblical principle that it is now that the Holy Spirit of God is working with the Word of God in the life of people to bring them to conviction of Christ as to who he is and what he came to do. And on that basis, and that basis alone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 34, we find the blasphemous thing being said by the Pharisees who were already concluding that Jesus was an enemy to their religious embrace of God. Ahead, in Matthew chapter 12, we will work with the sin of their blasphemy and their attributing of the Lord's gracious work to the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to the prince of devil, to the prince of evil. But for now, just note with me uh, the response to Jesus was, as it often is, greatly mixed. Take into consideration all the vignettes of Matthew 8, 9. There are some of those healed of the Lord, we, were say, we would say, are likewise saved. There may well be some healed that were never, ever saved. Likewise, there are people in the crowd that are astonished and impressed and, and enthusiastic for a short moment of time, but most never stuck or stayed in right place with Christ. And then, of course, you always have this, this definitive opposition and rejection, and from all people, those that are the most religious. The multitude of modern Christianity will likewise soon be done with the Lord. Let me say that again. The multitude of modern Christianity 
will likewise soon be done with our Lord, as was the Jewish multitude in that day. Those that were hateful, those growing in hate towards the Lord of glory, who spoke absolutely blasphemous things, continued on, most of them continued on, in their unrighteous opinions. But there were, of course, those who saw correctly the identity of the Lord Jesus as to his person and evaluated correctly the true nature of his earthly work and on that basis placed their faith in the Lord Jesus for time and for eternity. I am so thankful to God to be one of them. And I trust that you are one of them as well. One more thing that I want to uh, say to you concerning the uniqueness of this moment, November 19th, at the close of this worship hour. And that is this that as a congregation, as we often remind you at the Lord's table, we preach, we teach. And when I come to an hour at its end such as this, I have this thought, well, Lord, I, I've done my best. But so often there is in my soul a lacking sense of satisfaction, that the testimony of Christ has been duly lifted and raised before the whole of the congregation in such a way that every single one of us would thrill in the occasion. And that's why we have a hymn of response. The hymn of response is not only so that you can respond in heart to the Lord, but so that you can help lift the preaching points of the scripture before the hearts and minds of the congregation, before we pray and dismiss. This particular month, our singing, teaching, preaching opportunity is found on page 209, and it is the familiar words that are glorious in their impact and quality, rock of ages, cleft for me. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And when I say we're going to sing, I mean we're going to sing, because I'm done preaching, and it's time for you to help. Father, May we, as a congregation this morning, speak and sing the great truth of Christ to one another in attendance today. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.